this past week, I was gone last week, and Becky and I motored out through to Denver, and we met some family there, and uh, saw Beck, the grave where Becky's dad was buried, and it had been long time since we'd been there, and then on up to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, for a family reunion. So we had the stops on the way, and there were just this, this just amazing majesty of the mountains, and this time of year, being out in Colorado, wow, and it was cool, and there was this, just this pristine air, and the sense of uh, wonder, and, and the beauty of Steamboat. I'm thinking, this isn't, this is, do people live like this? <laughs> we're back here in this humidity, you know, it's, and I'm climbing up to uh, Fish Creek Falls that's there just uh, as a part of uh, Steamboat, and uh, Becky's stepdad, Stuart, and his brothers all climb Fish Creek Falls. The story is told that one of his brothers almost went over, and Stuart had to reach out and grab his shirt <laughs> to kind of catch him before he, uh, let's just say, perished. Okay, because it would have been a long, long trip. But anyway, I did that, and I couldn't help but sing in my heart, how great thou art. And I want to put up a slide here, and this will kind of lead us in our thoughts this morning, and I want to kind of provoke your own thought and imagination a bit as we look at this and think about this passage, that seeing beauty inspires wonder and worship. And the previous verses to today's reading that David did such a great job with are provoking because Jesus says this about those that he's dealing with. There's this big crowd around him. And he says this about this generation. Go ahead and put up our text in verse 31. The queen of the south, and this is a little bit of a background. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, kind of a lot to lay out all, all this. But let, let, rather than doing all of that, let me kind of summarize quickly. But the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth. This was in Solomon's day. To, Solomon, to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And Jesus is essentially saying, there's one greater than the wisdom of Solomon in Jesus' generation who is missing him. And then he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So we've got this allusion, this reference to the days of Solomon, then this reference to Jonah, remember, who went and preached in Nineveh. Because then the text says, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And I believe if you also cross-reference this with Matthew's gospel, there is an allusion to the life and the forthcoming greatness of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, far greater than that even unforgettable scene when Jonah calls this entire pagan city to repent, and they did. 
All right, you're still hanging with me? That's quite a bit of a little background, but it segues, I believe, into our passage today. The teaching about the light and the lamp comes on the heels of this very negative encounter that Jesus had with those who claimed that he was from the devil. His ministry is rising, and with the rising of his ministry, the resistance is growing. And he is doing good like no one has ever done good before, greater than Solomon and greater than Jonah. And still religious folks called wrong right and right wrong. And Jesus is saying that you will be full of darkness if you cannot let in the light. And he is right there in the midst of this generation and they could not see him nor appreciate his beauty. In our passage today, there is a reference to two lamps. Verse 33 says it this way. This is our more common understanding of the light and the lamp. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. This is the familiar metaphor for God's truth. We don't hide the truth. We don't hide the light. Thank you. Jason, for reminding us of that. Thank you for the songs that we've sung this morning. I don't know if you saw it all through the theme, but about the light of God. We don't hide the light. Jesus and his presence on earth and his life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection is this first lamp that is better than Solomon and better than Jonah, and there's nothing that compares. Now, in this verse, Jesus uses a house to understand a person. The text says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden. This is in a home or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in see the relationship between the house and a person may see the light. Then Jesus shifts the thought and he uses the metaphor in a different way in the next verse. And that'll be our focal point for just a moment. Verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. I believe Jesus is saying, as light enters into the house through doors or windows, so also light comes into the human heart through human eyes. The eyes are the portals to receive the light. And if you think about a window for a moment, some windows are clear. And the Greek word here 
sim means simple or sincere or straightforward or without an agenda. And maybe we could even suggest at least an alternative translation that and rather than saying your eyes are healthy might be a little bit of a miss of what Jesus is trying to say. The New American Standard Bible more literally says when your eye is clear. your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. I believe Jesus is saying that the windows, the eyes, are the passage to the inner self. Now we mostly think about when we think about light or a lamp, we think of the other metaphor. That is something that shines outward. And certainly that's what verse 33 says. A little bit like a miner wearing a, wearing a light on his hat with a torch on it so that he can see underground. The light is what shines out so you can see what's going on. But I think here Jesus is using the metaphor the other way around. It's about the inner person that is the depths of our heart and soul and body are in darkness and need to be illuminated. In this case then, and if I'm interpreting this correctly, Jesus himself will illuminate you as you clearly gaze on him to let the light in to your inner self. That would be my paraphrasing of what Jesus is saying here. And without the clear window, the gospel truth is going to be missed. And the insightful, transforming teaching of Jesus is diluted or forgotten or overlooked. So in other words, Jesus might be saying to this wicked generation, if you see me clearly for who I am, you're full of light. If you don't, you're full of darkness. Or said another way, Seeing beauty inspires wonder and worship. It's true for Steamboat Springs. It's even more true for the one who is walking among that generation in Palestine and who still lives today. Here's what I think we need to do with this passage. I think it begs for self-examination. I mean, I could ask it this way. Are your windows clean? You ever have your windows, they just look, you've cleaned them, they just look great. And then a few hours later, the sun hits them from a different angle. And you go, what? I thought I just cleaned these. They look awful. You get that direct light on them and they look as messy as can be. The bad windows block the light. Or how many of us right now, because of circumstances in our life, 
have, are just shutting the door and pull down the shades. In a way, refusing to let the light in. Or maybe ask another way, what in your life is blocking the light of the beauty of our Lord from illuminating your inner soul? Here's a question. Are you in danger, and I think so many of us are, if not today, tomorrow, of choosing lesser lights over the most beautiful light? You see, there's only one imperative in the passage, one thing that Jesus is trying to get through to us. He says it this way, see to it then. That is, watch out. Or be careful that the light within you is not in darkness. I think we are all, all possess this amazing filtering system that can concentrate on certain things and screen out other things. It's a psychological way that we're built so that we receive and ignore the filter out what is unimportant. And we're capable of shutting ourselves into our own little world that way. And, and no doubt, that filtering mechanism is absolutely necessary. Imagine if we didn't have it every mass shooting, which seems like it's every other day, would just emotionally cripple us. So we need this system. But I'm suggesting that there are a lot of things that have the appearance of light or generate some light but are not the substance and we've traded the lesser thing for the greater thing and we've filtered out the greater thing. There are certain windows, for instance, Mike could probably tell you a little bit about this, that, that filter out certain parts of the infrared spectrum. They filter certain wavelengths. Is this happening to you spiritually? Jesus says in verse 35, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. That sounds a bit frightening. I need to do some self-examination. In other words, there are many things that pass for light through the eye that is not true light. Think about the city of St. Louis for just a minute and St. Louis on a summer evening and how beautiful it can be we see the skyline. Or think about, even better, New York City. You know, absolutely amazing and beautiful and bright at that moment. But maybe even amidst all of those lights, surrounded by this light, if you're downtown, 
St. Louis or your downtown New York City, it 100% screens out the stars. And you don't even realize what you've missed. Then compare the city lights, as stunning as they might be, to when the sun rises. And they're nothing like the sun. Nothing in scope, in quality, or function like the sun. And so I think our passage today invites us to ask ourselves, what will it take to see the true beauty so that we can wonder? Live in wonder and worship. And as I was thinking about this, and I'm not going to delve into this today, but I was thinking about what is, needs to happen in my own self-reflection, and I think one thing is humility. I think my own pride just gets in the way of this self-examination so often. And then I thought about how can I, could I come to grips with that a little bit better? And I, and I, and I started asking myself, when was the last time I really have been in a time of confession? And, and wouldn't that turn some things in terms of my own heart and the way I'm seeing and what I'm focusing on and what I'm screening out and how to really get in touch again with the beauty? That's being presented. And then I thought about another word that almost scares us to death and that would be just having someone to whom I'm accountable. That I, with whom I could be transparent. Steve DeWitt tells the story of moving to Phoenix to go to school. And uh, he would drive by Camelback Mountain. I don't know if any of you have been out to Phoenix, you've seen Camelback Mountain. It's just absolutely precious, it's beautiful. And he said, the first week, he said, I just stared in awe. Just wanted to stop my car and look at the mountain. And then he said, the second week, I just looked at it. And then he said, the third week, I just noticed it was there. And he said, by the fourth week, I was driving by oblivious like most everyone else in Phoenix. I contrast that with a story about President Roosevelt who would often stargaze with a friend of his. And one of them would go out, they'd look at the telescope, and they would see a faint spot of light in the left-hand corner of Pegasus, and one of them would recite... That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. 
It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own. And then they would pause. And then Roosevelt would say, Now I think I feel small enough. Let's go to bed. Church, the generation that fails to see the beauty of Jesus is called wicked. Do you shut the shades? Do you pull the door shut? Does your eye need to fix its gaze more clearly on the Savior? Because let me ask this. What could you possibly want in a Savior that you haven't found in him. Seeing beauty inspires wonder and worship. We let in the true light. I know many of us do, and I know many of us are trying, and yet I know many of us find those filters pretty thick. I want to leave you with a song that uh, Kaylin sent me this week. And I really like the music to this song. You might even want to jot down the words, look up the song, play it this week. And the words beginning in the middle of the song, I believe, are so on point to what I'm trying to say. If you... And the song is, by, is called Gallows by Jess Ray. Gallows by Jess Ray. If you are stumbling in the dark, run your hands against the walls. Find every window and every door. Throw them open. Throw them open. In will flood the blinding light. It will chase away the night. Even if you shield your eyes, let it pour in. Let it pour in. Listen to it this week. God bless you.